Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Today's scripture reading from Psalm 85, verses 1 through 13. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the inequity of your people, and you covered all of their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear that God, the Lord, will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Psalm 85. I believe in change lives in a powerful, unexpected way. I was one of those lives. So was I. God saved and restored me, and that's why I joined the Life Action Team. So that I can share this message all across North America. Because I believe there's something more, something powerful, something joyful, something important. When we come together to seek God's face, when churches set aside special time to focus on what matters most, I believe that world-changing revival is just as possible as the sun rising. I believe God can work miracles, and that He still does, more than what we could even ask or imagine. And that's why I pray. That's why I seek. That's why I joined this ministry, this vision, this calling. And that's why we are sending our team. Because together with your church, we can ask God for something special. Lord, send revival and let it begin in us. Well, good morning. You know from that little video, and we've been talking about it for a few weeks from now, uh, next week, the uh, Summit Conference starts. It starts next Sunday. I thought I would take a couple of minutes before I pray and get into the, our passage this morning to just give you a little bit of a, a feel for what that'll look like schedule-wise. Um, we've had inserts, and you know, the inserts kind of list the times, basically, but let me just tell you how it works. So you may have noticed it says it starts at 9.15 on, on Sunday, and that's true. And how we're doing that is it's basically like part one, part two. So we don't have our normal Sunday school. So next week at 9.15, I hope you'll all be able to be here then, even if you don't normally come to our, our, our Sunday school. There will be stuff for all ages. Uh, children's program will start. 
the, um, just right on all the way up through to all of us. So, so that starts at 9.15, and there'll be like a teaching time, and there'll actually be some worship, some singing, and then we'll have like an intermission or a break in between with some refreshments, kind of nice to celebrate Mother's Day that way, and then we'll come back for 10, a 10.30 worship service. So if you can't be here at, at the 9.15, you're saying, my schedule doesn't let me do that, I got chores or whatever it is, I don't usually go to that Sunday school, you could still come, and please don't stay away just because you can't be there for that first hour. So, so it starts at 9.15, full programming available, break in the middle, and then we take up again at 10.30. That's how it works on both of the Sundays. Uh, there are also evenings that are available, and so it's basically five evenings, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday evening, uh, and, and those are, I hope you can get to as many of those as you can. I know it's a busy time of year. I mentioned that a week or two ago, uh, but you, I think you'll be blessed. You will be blessed by these, these evening sessions. Those start at six o'clock, and the way those work, uh, I actually had a great conversation this week with our main speaker. His name is Ryan, and he's really excited about being here with us, and he was able to walk me through a lot of these things. He's got some great uh, messages prepared for us. The Lord's still kind of honing those things. Um, and what he explained to me is actually the first half hour or so is like a teaching time on different family-related issues or relation. They're not all family, but just different relationship issues. So if you're like, oh man, I get off at work at 6. I can't be there at 6. Great. Come at 6.20. Come at 6, 6.30. Because that first half hour is uh, like a, a, a more almost more like a seminar sort of a teaching time like there'll be a teaching component from the scripture and then we'll have some time for worship uh, children will kind of come and go all the children's programming is right here on site uh, and and then and then there'll be like a sermon that ryan will do and unless the lord like moves in some powerful way we'll be done at eight o'clock i mean if the lord wants us to stay till midnight we will but um but typically it would be uh kind of wrapping up by 8 8 30 at the latest so that's kind of how that works that's sunday evening through uh through thursday evening friday is actually an off day there's a couple of other things in there i won't hammer out everything you'll hear about it there's a women's luncheon on thursday which you'll hear about as the week unfolds um friday's an off day for them and then saturday morning there's this standalone component uh, called, uh, they actually, for adults, it's called Home Life Cafe. It has a, two different names for the, the teens and, and children's programming. But it's kind of a 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. thing. You would be able to, you could drop in for part of that if you can't do the whole four hours. But it's, it's very much like, a, like you'd find if you went to a Christian seminar or a Christian workshop. And that's where they'll really drill down on, you know, parenting and relationship issues and you know marriage or being single like others oh, different kind of almost like tracks sort of thing i'm uh, i'm not i don't know all those details but but it's a really good teaching for for adults of all ages and all stages of life and then compatible programming i believe the children's piece focuses on actually creation the importance of creation and i forget what the teen, the uh, young adult or the youth part does but I'm sure it'll be good. So that's, uh, that's Saturday morning, 9 a.m. to 1, and then the Sunday is a repeat of the first Sunday, and so it would conclude with Sunday, May 15th. We'll be back here, 9.15, 10.30, same sort of pattern. So if you've wondered what's coming, that's what's coming. Um, that is available to you. It's all free. There is there an offering. I think they'll, um, there's a, 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 the opportunity to give to Life Actions Ministry. You know what? I haven't said anything about this. Sometimes people wonder. The Sunday morning service offerings are your regular offering for our church. And so the box will still be back there. And so the offering on Sundays is just our regular offering. Um, the weeknights, 
there is an opportunity to give to the ministry of life action. So if the Lord is blessing you through their ministry, you can bless them in return by giving back to that. But you don't, you don't have to. That's between you and the Lord. We actually have already paid, if I could put it that way, as a church to, to bring them here. We've kind of funded some of their, their costs to bring them here. So that's how that, that part works. Uh, any other details you need? Let me think. Uh, if you have any questions, give me a call. You could talk to uh, Lee. knows a lot about it. Chad Williams is actually our main coordinator. You could t- catch up with Chad, and, and he can answer even more questions than I can a lot of times on how this all works. So we're looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really good. I'm going to try to set us up this morning from Psalm 85. Uh, also, reminder this morning is... Um, the Lord's table. We will be uh, sharing the Lord's supper together. So hopefully you picked up or got one of these. We're given one of these little cups when you came in. If not, we'll bring you one when we get to the time to share the Lord's table. If you're worshiping with us at home, we encourage you to participate. And uh, yeah, please, please join with us, join with us as well from home. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Uh, It is the day you have made and uh, we praise you for it. We rejoice in it. Uh, We thank you for the chance to study Scripture together, and as we look at Psalm 85 this morning, um, I just pray you'd open up our hearts and our minds to understand what you have here for us, Lord. Apply it to uh, each and every one of our lives. Prepare us, Lord, for the work you want to do in us uh, in every way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have an old dresser at home, and I was looking at this thing the other day, and uh, I was trying to remember where we got it. I was like, we've had it so long, I couldn't exactly remember where we got it. So I asked my wife, fortunately she remembered. Uh, Laura reminded me that the dresser was given to us by uh, a friend of the family. It was kind of like a, a friend of the friend. It might have even been a cousin. We were both actually a little unclear on it. But uh, it, it, we got it. Some, this friend of the family gave it to us way back when we lived in Chicago. So this would have been in, um, when I was in my last year of seminary. We lived in Chicago, late 90s, and uh, we were expecting our first child. Uh, Baby Hannah was on the way. And uh, we were doing all the things you do to get ready when, you, when you're going to be a first-time parent. And so we had, you know, there had been a shower, and we had the baby clothes, and we had a crib already, and all that kind of stuff. But we did not have a dresser. And so we had the baby clothes, but we didn't have anywhere to put the baby clothes. And uh, this got out amongst my mother-in-law's network, and this friend of the family offered us this dresser for free. And we were glad to get it. It was very sturdy, good, solid, well-built, none of that press board stuff. It was all wood, really nice, uh, nice dresser. And uh, it had these drawers on the bottom, which were really good for little baby sweaters and stuff. And the top part had this cabinet that opened with shallow drawers, perfect for those little baby socks and the little onesies and everything. And so it really was very suitable to what we needed. It, It did have one problem, though. The problem was this thing was completely beat up. I don't know where this people had been having. This is why they were getting rid of it. You know, you're like, oh, a free dresser. That's great. And then you look, took one look at it. And you're like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> I get why it's a free dresser. Because it was really, really beat up. And, and so it was very practical for what we needed, but it was not suitable for our baby girl. Uh, and so we were on a seminary student budget, so we didn't just kind of get, get rid of it. We set out to refinish it. We, we set out to restore this thing, and, and it took us a bunch of weeks. We took off all the hardware, sanded it, stripped it down. Uh, some of the hinges were kind of broken, so they had to be repaired or replaced, and we put this whole thing back together. We painted it. it I got to tell you, I don't usually brag on this kind of thing because I'm not very good at this kind of thing, but it looked good. <laughs> when we got done, it looked really, really good. 
And it served us well. We used it, actually, we used it for Hannah. We used it for Josh. We used it for Nate. We used it for all three kids. It served us very, very well. After a while, they outgrew it. My children are all young adults now, if you don't know that. Uh, they outgrew it, and uh, eventually it ended up, it went from the nursery through a probably different path, but eventually it ended up in the furnace room. If you come to our house today, it's downstairs in the utility slash furnace room. The washer and dryer's in there, the deep freeze is in there, the furnace is in there, and this dresser is in there. And, and it used to hold baby clothes, now it holds rags and cat food. Because that's our main use, actually, is we feed the cats on top of it now because the dog will eat the cat food if you put it on the floor. You know how that goes. So, so the cats climb up on top of this thing twice a day to eat their food. That's what happened to our baby's dresser. It will not surprise you when I, I tell you all that. and It will not surprise you when I tell you this thing looks terrible. It's, it's all beat up again. Right After three kids and two cats and whatever else, it really looks bad, which is why I was thinking about it the other day, and I was trying, where did we get this? What's this? You know, and I was thinking this over. It really shows its age. The, that bright paint we put on it 20-plus years ago, it's, it's all faded now. It's chipped in places. The hinges are squeaky. The drawers kind of stick. And I was looking at this thing, and I was thinking, either we need to get rid of it, or I'm going to have to refinish it again. <laughs> You know, the same thing happens to our spiritual lives. The same thing happens. It's a lot like that dresser. The structures are sturdy, right? It's solid. It's well built. Our, our doctrine is sound. We're well taught. We're well read. Our faith is solid. We're not thinking about walking away from Jesus. That's not the, the problem. But time has taken its toll. Some of the colors are faded, the paint is chipped in a few places, the hinges kind of stick when you open them, and it's like that dresser. Like that dresser, our hearts need some restoration, our hearts need to be restored. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, because that's what Psalm 85 talks about. You know, you've heard it, we're having Life Action Ministries come, and we've been telling you that one of the big focuses is on personal spiritual renewal, and that's what Psalm 85 is about. It is a prayer for personal renewal, for spiritual renewal. And this prayer that we're looking at, is it starts with an assumption. The whole prayer is based on an assumption, and the assumption is that God wants to do this. Right, I'm kind of looking at that dresser going, I don't know if I want to do that. God wants to do this. God wants to restore our hearts. He wants to spiritually renew his people. That's the assumption of, of this entire prayer. The psalmist prays the way he prays exactly because of that. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. This is preparatory for the conference over the next, it starts next Sunday, but it's also a lot of just general principle for, for how we attend to our spiritual lives. And so it applies to both levels as far as that goes. And I want to take you through the 13 verses of Psalm 85, and I want to show you four directions There are four directions that the psalmist looks as he goes through his prayer, and I think we need to look in the same four directions. So four directions that we need to look as we're preparing our own hearts for the Lord's work in our lives. So number one, the first direction we need to look is back. Look back. If we're going to prepare for spiritual renewal in our lives today, then we start by looking back at what God has done for us in the past. And, and appreciating it. See, with each of these words, I want to give you, a, with each of these directions we're going to look, I have a key, dire, uh, a, key, a key word. There's a key word that goes with that direction that kind of fleshes it out for us. And in this case, it's gratitude. We look back with gratitude on what God has done for us in the past. This is what the psalmist does in verses one through three. 
you, you heard it before, but I'm going to read it again so it's fresh. He says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from, turned away from your hot anger. And so he starts with a look back. It's all past tense. You see that in the past tenses? It brings out, comes out very well in the English. Uh, you were favorable. You restored our fortunes. You forgave our iniquities. You covered our sin. You withdrew your anger. Uh, all of those. They're all things God, he's, he's talking to God, and he starts this prayer, which it becomes clear as we keep reading, that it's a prayer for revival. He'll say it in verse 6, revive us again, restore us again. Uh, he starts this prayer by looking back at what God's done for him in the past. That's where he starts. Uh, we actually don't know. A lot of times it's helpful to find you know, the historical setting for, for, for Bible passages, including Psalms, and it would be helpful in this case if we knew, but we don't. We don't know, uh, actually, we don't even know exactly when this Psalm was written. Uh, and so we don't know if he's just reflecting in a general way or if this has to do with, um, with something, you know, like a specific episode. Some scholars have suggested it was like the exile, the period after the Babylonian exile. Maybe that's what he's talking about. But the, the fact is, we don't know the historical setting, but the key, the key is, is just the way he looks back. He looks back at what God's done in the past. And it's also a comprehensive look. That's the other thing I wanted to say about this first stanza. Uh, it's, it's both physical and spiritual mercies and spiritual blessings that he's talking about. It's the physical and the spiritual. And so you see in verse 1, look where he starts, right? He starts with the land, right? And so he talks about how the Lord was favorable. You've been favorable to the land, he says. And so, again, we don't know what he's thinking about, whether he means, you know, bountiful harvests or if he means spared from their enemies. You know, this, would, this kind of prayer would fit very well for when the Assyrians were trying to destroy them and then God miraculously kind of sent a plague and killed most of the Assyrian army. This, you know, this certainly would apply to that. We don't know, but... But it's, it's material, tangible mercies. That's a big part of what he's thankful for. But then it's mostly focused on the spiritual things God's done. That's really where he puts the bulk of the, of the lion's share of his emphasis. And so he talks about sin. He talks about God's wrath, uh, God's anger against sin. You forgave our iniquities. You turned away from your anger against our sin. You had mercy on us instead. So he, that's his, the, the majority of what he talks about there. So when you and I read those verses, when we read verses 1 through 3, uh, you know, the psalmist writing 3,000 years ago or, or whatever, we read those verses, we cannot help but see Jesus. Of course we think about Jesus when we read those verses, because what a great description that is of what God has done for us in Christ. He, he covered over our iniquities. He turned away God's wrath against our sin by taking God's wrath against our sin upon himself. And so now our sins are forgiven. They're covered over and, and washed away, just like the psalmist describes. And sometimes part of the, you know, those faded colors I was talking about, part of the faded colors is we just lose sight of, of how wonderful what I just said really is. We just lose sight of how wonderful it is to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be free from that guilt and that shame. That stuff doesn't have to haunt us anymore. It doesn't haunt us anymore unless we let it. And, and that's what he's talking about there in verses 1, 2, and 3. And so it's good for us to look back. It's good for us to remember what God has done for us in the past. Not so we feel guilty about it. No, not at all. We look back to, to be grateful, to continue to feel and, and, and promote that gratitude in our own hearts for what God has done for us in Christ. That's why we're going to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper now. 
Uh, and I'm going to throw you a curveball. We're going to mix it up just a little bit. Usually we would celebrate the Lord's Supper after uh, the sermon, but this is Communion Sunday for us, and we'd like to do it now. So uh, it's the application to, the first, to my first point. Uh, the Lord's Supper is all about looking back, right? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Look back on a regular basis. Look back and remember that I died for your sins, uh, Jesus says. And so if you're here in the auditorium, and I saw the couple of elders who are serving this morning went and got the trays. If you need a cup, if we missed you when you came in, please raise your hand and they'll bring you a cup. And if you need the gluten-free option, they'll, they'll bring you that as well. Um, if you're at home, now's a good time to get those crackers and that grape juice. And uh, we will um, we'll, we'll share the bread and the cup right now. I'll remind you, this is uh, something we do as believers, and so if you're not sure where you stand with Christ, if, you, if you're just kind of exploring Christianity, uh, please don't feel any pressure to participate. Uh, this is something we, we do as believers. Uh, but if you're a believer, please do it. Jesus, Jesus, it wasn't a suggestion at the Last Supper. It was a command. Jesus said, do this. Do this on a regular basis in remembrance of me. So we'll make sure you get your, what you need. Everybody set? Okay. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we are stopping in the middle of a sermon, <laughs> which we don't usually do, but we are stopping to turn our attention uh, to you in the, in the ordinance, in, in communion. And uh, we want to thank you, Lord. Uh, we thank you for being uh, favorable to your people, to us, for forgiving our iniquities, for covering our sin for withdrawing your wrath and turning from your hot anger by choosing instead, Jesus, to take our place on the cross. We thank you for this bread and for this juice, which remind us of that, of your body broken for us, of your, your blood willingly poured out for us. We praise you and we thank you for that. Forgive us for our sins, Lord, if there is any unconfessed sin we've brought to this service this morning. Uh, we confess that to you now. We'd ask you to forgive us and to cleanse us from, from those, uh, those stains. Sanctify us, Lord, and we thank you for that too. And so we turn uh, our attention now to, the, to the, the elements with gratitude in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. So you can open the, um, the cellophane, take out the bread, the clear cellophane. The Apostle Paul says the following. This is from 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. You may partake. When you're ready, you can pull back the foil on the juice. Paul continues. He says, in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the blood of Christ shed for our sins. You may partake. 
And he says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you for this look back. It is the look back at the most important thing. Uh, when everything else is stripped away and is gone, is taken, when all of our strength has failed and our wealth has passed away and everything else, uh, the cross will remain, your word will remain. And we thank you for, uh, for what you've done for us. We look forward to the day when the look back is no longer a look back because we'll live in your presence forever. And until that day, uh, preserve us in you and preserve our gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we've looked back. Now let's look up. That's direction number two. Uh, we look up to the Lord. And there's a word that goes with this one too. And the word here is longing. That's the word I want to use. Longing or yearning would be a, a good synonym. Longing. Uh, we prepare our hearts for the Lord's work, for his renewing work in our lives by looking up and longing for him, for his presence in our lives, for him, his work, for him to move. Longing for that. That's what I see in verses four through seven. So that's the next stanza. Uh, this, you know, this is poetry. It's what kind of breaks out, almost like a song we would sing uh, into stanzas. And so here's what the second stanza says to us. He says, Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. So there's a pretty stark contrast, actually, between stanza one and stanza two. And you can, you can feel it when you, when you slow down to read them. So Psalm one, or the first stanza is all this like looking back with gratitude at all these wonderful things God's done in the past and your anger's been turned away and all these things. But now when you read four through seven, it's clear he's not experiencing that now. It's, he knows that it's still true. He knows God's done all those things and that's why he starts where he starts. But he isn't feeling it now but he wants to. That's the key to this second stanza. He wants to experience it again, right? He's not kind of shrug, oh, well, I don't feel it now. That's, you know, no, he's longing to experience it again. That's why he prays what he prays. Restore us again, O joy of our soul, God of our salvation. Verse four, uh, verse six, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? He's longing, he's yearning for the Lord's work and the Lord's presence in his life. If you look a little more closely at verses 4 through 7, I, I see three things that stand out in particular. So I say he's longing for the Lord. What's he longing for? He's, re, he's longing, number one, for a restored relationship. There's something broken there. The, the, the relationship has grown dry or cold. This is one of the reasons some of the scholars like to suggest that this psalm was kind of a later psalm and that it's from that period when Israel had rebelled against God and so he sent them into exile. That would certainly fit with what he's describing here. You know, God, Israel's God's chosen people, but, but there's a brokenness in the relationship. Well, what's he praying for? He's praying for that brokenness to be healed. He's praying for restoration. Put away your anger. Get, get, put away your indignation or your displeasure is what that word means. So he's praying for restoration, for healing in his relationship with God. He's also longing for joy. 
So that's the second thing he's longing for. Uh, Will you not revive us again? Verse 6 says, so that, here comes the reason, so that we may rejoice in you. Uh, Some translations put that as a statement, and grammatically that's possible. It could be a statement instead of a question. I like the question better because I think it brings out that sense of longing. Oh, won't you do this? Oh, please, won't you do this? There's that sense of, of almost pleading with God. Won't you revive us? so that we can recapture that joy of our, of our, that joy of our, our youth, that joy of our, uh, when, when we used to walk with you, Lord, when the paint was bright and, and everything went nice and smooth. And so he's longing for a restored relationship. He's longing for uh, joy. And then the third thing is he's really uh, longing for an experience of God's love. And so not just kind of acknowledgement of God's love, but an experience of it, which is what he prays for in verse 7. Show us your steadfast love. Show us your steadfast love. That's the, the Hebrew word for, um, for like uh, unconditional love. It's equivalent to agape in English, or excuse me, in, in Greek. You know, it's kind of that unconditional love that God has for his people. Uh, it's that word. And so sometimes it's translated, um, you could translate it grace or loving kindness. That's what he's, he's longing for. And notice he does not even attempt to argue that they deserve it. Right? There's absolutely no sense in which, oh, well, we've done so much for you, Lord, so now you should do this for us. Uh-uh. No, he's, his appeal, his appeal for restoration, his appeal for, for a revival is completely based on God's, God's grace. Show us your steadfast love, he says. And so what's the psalmist longing for? He's longing for grace. He's longing for joy. He's longing for experience of God's love. And he's longing for a, a restored, closer relationship with the Lord. And I read all that, and, and I'm challenged by it, because I find myself asking, what am I longing for? Or what are you longing for? What do we long for? All right, we compare it to his longings. What do we long for? It seems to me the answer is that it's a mixture it's a mixture. I think that's the right answer. For most of us, our longings in this area are mixed. Because on the one hand, we do long for the Lord. That's why you're here right now, right? You long for the Lord. You know, they don't give out gold stars for going to church. Not in, not in 21st century America. Maybe there was a time in history when that was true. It's not now, right? It's, the, the reward is the Lord, right? That's the reward. It's kind of fun to hang out with each other, but you could do that in other places. The reward is the Lord. So, so there is this sense in which we are longing for him. We are longing for him. And yet we all know what this is like. We're also longing for the world too. The world tugs on our, our, our hearts just as much or almost as much. It's a, a little bit like those worn out hinges on that dresser that we have. We, we know how it's supposed to work, Right? I know how hinges are supposed to work, but uh, sometimes they get stuck. Same thing happens with our hearts. We know how they're supposed to work, but sometimes they don't work the way they're supposed to. Sometimes we become fixed on the things of the world instead of the things of the Lord. That's one of the reasons we have passages like this one. You know, it's why, why it's so good for us to be in the Scriptures. Uh, passages, and there's lots of them, right? There's lots of them, but this is a good one. Passages like Psalm 85, uh, they, they purify our longings, right? They're almost like a filter that we run our longings through, and it comes out pure on the other side, like a water filter or something like that. Uh, and and, and you know, what does the second stanza of Psalm 85 do? Uh, what does it do? It, it shows us how our hearts are supposed to work. This is what we're supposed to long for. And so we look up. We look up with longing for the Lord's presence. That's the the second direction we see in this psalm. 
Direction number three, the third direction we need to look is inside. And so we look back, we look up, and we look inside. And the word that goes with this one, I could, there's three or four different words I could have chosen, but I decided to go with openness. Openness. Uh, we need to be open to the Lord. And by open, I mean the, the, a willingness to wait. A willingness to wait on the Lord. In fact, you might even, if you want a bonus word, you can write down wait or patience. Uh, we, we, we need to be willing to wait on the Lord. And this is the attitude he, he expresses in verses 8 and 9. So that's, uh, that's the next stanza. He says, let me hear, let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Basically, don't drift off into sin while they're waiting. But let them not turn back to folly, for surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. In this stanza, in verse 8, the psalmist basically pulls up a chair. As I read this kind of imaginatively, that's what I see here. He pulls up a chair and he sits down to wait. He says, let me hear. Let me hear what God is going to say. The NIV says, I will listen. I will listen to what the Lord will say. And then the rest of what he says in that stanza, I think it's him just fleshing that out. He says, it's, it's, it's almost his reason for willing, his, his willingness to wait. He says, I know God promises peace to his people. Right, that, that's verse 8. I know his salvation is near, verse 9. I know he's going to restore glory to the land. And because I, I know he does these kinds of things, I will wait. I will wait. I will listen. That's a big theme. Right? I could have gone to a dozen passages to, to talk about this part. Uh, waiting on God. Waiting on God is an important part of the Christian life. And it's an important theme in Scripture. Uh, we see it all over the place. Another psalm, Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Right? So don't take revenge into your own hands. Instead, wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Isaiah 8, 17. I will wait for the Lord uh, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. Right? Boy, it resonates with that psalm. It feels like God's not paying attention. He is. He always is. But it feels like he isn't. But I will wait for the Lord. I will put my trust in him. It's a New Testament thing too. Uh, actually, if you think about it, the early church, the, the church was born in waiting, right? It was born in waiting. Uh, after the resurrection, Jesus kind of hangs out and does, teaches his disciples for 40 days. Last thing he says, one of the last things he says before he goes back up into heaven is wait. Uh, it's Acts 1-4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so they do. They go to the upper room. They spend the next 10 days waiting in prayer for the Lord to do what he said, to send the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 23, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons. We wait for it patiently. 1 Timothy two thirteen. we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all over the place. Waiting on God is a core part. It's like an essential part of the Christian life. And waiting is hard. <laughs> waiting is hard. We do not like to wait. Some of us, me, you know, we have a hard time waiting 30 seconds for the light to turn green. You know, even in Atlantic, uh, it just is something, some of us just have an especially hard time, but I think all of us have a hard time to varying degrees waiting for things. And yet that's exactly what we need. We need this mentality to pull up a chair and be willing, a spiritual chair, to be put to, to, to wait on the Lord. 
And when we talk about waiting on him, we're talking about waiting on his will, and also, I think you see it here especially, also waiting on his timing. And all of that leads right into the, the fourth thing, the fourth direction we need to look in, and it builds right off of this one. The fourth direction we need to look is ahead. We need to look ahead. And the key word here that goes with this one is hopefulness. Hopefulness. Uh, we need to be hopeful as we're looking for God to be working in our lives now. The thing that we tap into with that as we're praying and seeking it is a hopefulness about what he's going to do what he's going to do in our lives going forward. That's a key part of this thing. And where you see it is in the last stanza. And actually kind of, we've already seen some hints of hope earlier. Uh, my points don't always break as neat and, and clean as they do on the, on the slides. But, uh, but you really see it kind of blossom, I think, full bloom with the hopefulness in verses 10 through 13. There in the last stanza. Let's, let's see what he says. Verse 10, he says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. You see how we've moved from past tense in the opening stanza to future tense now in the last one? The Lord will give what is good. Our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. So he's hopeful. That's what we have now. He's hopeful uh, in those verses. And not in some vague sort of way, right? We always have to you know, stop and think when we start talking about hope as Christians. He's not, he's not hopeful in some kind of vague, kind of, you know, almost like Instagram inspiration picture, kind of, you know, hopeful. You know, you see these things, you know, night's always, I think Hemingway actually said something like, night is always uh, darkest before the dawn, you know, and you read that and you're supposed to go, yeah. You know, but, except not always, right? That may be true uh, astronomically, but it's not always true in, in, in our lives. But the psalmist, he doesn't have that kind of vague hope. He doesn't have a, a cliche kind of hope. His hope is rooted directly in the Lord. His hope, everything he says, it's, it's not a, a, a vague hope. It's a, Lord, it's a God-centered hope. And so you see it in verse 12, the Lord will give what is good. So it's not just kind of a, you know, cross our fingers and everything will work out okay in the end. It's the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. It's the Lord that's going to do that. And again, it's like what we were talking about at the beginning. It's, it's comprehensive. And so there's a physical component to it, right? He's talking about the land and that's, that's, a, that's a part of it for sure. And then there's this even better blessing, I think is how he would put it, that the Lord is there personally. And I say it's even better because that's where he really puts most of his emphasis. And so he understands we're physical beings, and so the physical blessings are part of it, but it's all integrated with the spiritual blessing of God's very own presence. And so where do you see God's very own presence? I see it in verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11 are uh, kind of like one of those verses you read, oh, it sounds pretty, but what does that mean? <laughs> Here's what I think it means. The psalmist in verses 10 and 11 is using a, a figure of speech called personification. And what he does is he takes four of God's major attributes, so steadfast love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace. Those are all attributes of God. He takes these attributes and he describes them like they're at a party. That's, that's, that's how I read this. Maybe, maybe I'm letting myself run away with my imagination here, but it's like, it's like a big reunion. And so what do you got? You got love and faithfulness. They're out walking and they meet. Right? It says love and faithfulness meet. And they're like, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a little while. How's it going? Hey, my man, faithfulness. High five. How's it going? And, and then righteousness and peace join the party. They come in and they're like, peace. Ah, 
what? And they, they give each other a big hug and a big kind of, you know, Italian family kiss on the cheek and, ah, oh, how you doing? And it's, it's this kind of a feel, right? You, we don't usually think of those things meeting together, but it's personification. He's, he's taking these attributes of God and he's describing them like they're, they're meeting up for a joyful celebration. And in verse 11, he repeats two of them, faithfulness springs up. It's probably where I got the party idea. It's like a surprise party. You know, faithfulness is like, surprise, I'm here. And, and then, uh, you know, what's the other one? Righteousness. Righteousness looks down or comes down. And I think it gets translated both of those ways because the idea is righteousness looks down and says, ah, I'm coming too. I want to be there. And so you, you have this, this gathering of four of God's major attributes. And so what is it? It's, it's God. God himself is on the scene. That's what the psalmist is longing for and, and looking forward to. That's what he's hopeful for there in verses 10 and 11. And, and isn't that really what we're asking for when we pray for spiritual renewal? Whether we're praying it for ourselves or our families or in our marriage or, or in our church or for our nation, isn't that what we're praying? We're asking God to show up and spread his goodness physical and spiritual, all throughout our lives. That's what we're looking ahead to. That's what we're hopeful for. Let's, let's do a, a little personal exercise. We kind of did a personal exercise earlier when we shared communion together. Here's another one. I just want to ask a pretty simple question and ask you to, you know, we're not going to say it out loud or anything, but just come up with an answer. The question is, what are you hoping God will do in your life? These days, Right now, this, this time where we are right now, May 1st, 2022, uh, what are you hoping God will do in your life? It might be something tangible, right? something physical. Like I said, we saw this. We see that in both the beginning and the ending of the psalm. Right? You see it in verse 12. The Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Right? Maybe it's something in that category, something physical like that. I was thinking some of the, you know, the farmers out in the middle of planting. Like, this would be a great verse to put on the, you know, on the front of the dashboard of the tractor, I think. It would, it, yeah, something tangible like that. It's, it could be something like that. But it also might be one of his spiritual blessings. And like I've tried to show, there's a big emphasis on the spiritual blessings too in this psalm. And so maybe you're, you're hoping, when I throw that question out, what are you hoping God will do? Maybe you're hoping for peace. Right? You've been struggling with anxiety, and you know, these are anxious times for, for different reasons, and, and, or maybe it's just personal stuff that's going on, and, and really what you're hoping for is God's peace. I need God's peace to settle over my anxious heart. Or, or maybe you're hoping for God's righteousness, right? You think of righteousness showing up on the scene, uh, and, and you've been struggling with a particular area of temptation that's just been besetting for you, whatever it is, and, and what you really need, right? You're like, boy, I'd, I'd love to go to, you know, have somebody pray for me, something where, where God's righteousness shows up and helps me overcome. Uh, maybe it's, it's his love. You know, you've been struggling with, uh, you know, it, it, some, we've, we've talked, I remember talking about this a few months ago in First John, but it's, it's an issue a lot of people struggle with. You know, there's this voice in our heads, and whether it's the devil or it's our own selves accusing ourselves, but there's this voice that keeps saying, you're not good enough. You're still guilty. You're, you're a bad person because you did that thing all those years ago. You're, you're still bad. And you're, you're sick of that voice. You're so tired of living with that voice. And what you'd really love is for God's steadfast love to go from something that a guy up front talks about to become something that's embedded in your heart. It just washes over you. Maybe that's what you're hoping for. Maybe it's something else entirely. What would you, how would you answer the question? What are you hoping for? Whatever your answer would be, Psalm 85 says, keep hoping. Don't give up. So keep waiting. Keep hoping. The Lord is coming. 
Righteousness and peace, steadfastness, it's, it's, he's, he's on the scene. And so keep waiting for his answer. I said earlier that um, my wife and I have uh, two choices, two options with that beat-up old dresser of ours. We can get rid of it or we can restore it, right? Get rid of it or restore it. Uh, it occurs to me, though, there is a third option. There's a third option with that dresser, and the third option is to just leave it, right? Of course, right? I mean, that's what we've been doing for years now. <laughs> just, just leave it the way it is, right? And the cats don't seem to care, so uh, I'll just leave it the way it is. And you know, I think that's what I'm going to do. In all honesty, I don't really feel like I have the time right now to, to restore it, but it's kind of useful. We're not going to get rid of it. So we're just going to leave it like it is. That's a pretty good option for a beat up old dresser, but it's a terrible option for our hearts. It's, it's not a good option when it comes to our hearts. So if you've noticed, maybe it's the times we live in, or maybe it's just something, maybe it's an age and stage sort of thing. Whatever the reason, if you've noticed that some of the colors in your walk with Jesus have faded, if some of the, the paint is chipped, if some of the hinges squeak when you open the doors and the drawers kind of stick and you've got to tug on them to get them to come, it out, to come out, don't just leave it like it is. Don't just leave it. It's time to do something about it. It's time to make spiritual renewal a priority. The Life Action Conference is a, a good resource for that, right? I mean, you could see why I might preach a sermon like this. It's a good resource. It's not the only one, right? Somebody, somebody out there listening to this is already committed to a business trip. You won't, you won't catch any of it, or you'll be here for like one of them or two of them or something. I'm not saying this is the only, you know, the only resource, but it's a good resource. It's a good one, and it's right here in our own church. It's both Sundays. It's the week in between. It's a great opportunity to, to do what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, to work on being good soil, to let the Lord do the restoration work. Uh, so I would just encourage you, be here for as much of it as you can. Be here for the Sundays. Get to as many of the evening sessions as you can. The Saturday, if you're able to be here, uh, don't miss it. Don't miss out on this opportunity to chase after the Lord for spiritual renewal. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we just want to pray for, uh, for the conference. We ask you to use this in our hearts, in our families, in our homes, uh, in our friend groups, in our small groups, and in our church. That, and in using it in our church and in those other areas, use it in our community, Lord. I know we've invited some other churches and use it in their churches too, just to, to bring uh, a, a renewed sense of, of passion for you and of, um, of just of our walk with you. Uh, brighten up some of those colors, Lord. Nothing's changed. You still love us. That hasn't changed one bit, but our, um, our engagement with that, for some of us, could, could, use, could use some brightening. And so we pray for that. Uh, we pray that you would be working in each of us uh, for your glory, Lord. Uh, thank you for uh, all that you've done for us, Lord. Uh, there's so much gratitude in this psalm, and I think I'll end on that. Thank you for uh, your mercy, your loving kindness, your faithfulness to us in the past, and we look forward to seeing how you're going to continue to do that in our lives for all the days that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.